The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we serve such a great God. And Lord, I know that in this room there are, there are many people here um, going through many different things. And Lord, um, we know that despite what we're going through, no matter what we're going through, that you're a great God and that we need to know you better. Uh, Lord, Lord, like David said, we need to pant after you like a deer for water. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight to long to know you and to long to know your word, to desire to um, please you with our lives. God, I pray that um, we would be excited about hearing what you have for us so that we can leave this place, uh, bring you glory. Lord, as we look tonight at the suffering of Christ in the garden, Lord, I pray that we would just be once again amazed by what you did for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a few moments, we will be in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and I've entitled this message, The Danger of Self-Reliance. But before we get into our passages tonight, I just want to um, thank Pastor for what he said this morning. And uh, I wanted to reiterate once again tonight, and I'm not speaking specifically about the topic he spoke on. But what he said this morning that I think is essential for all of us to get is that the Bible must be our authority. And I know that there are some people that have wondered in the past, I'm sure when people come here, they wonder, you know, what is the direction of our church? Where are we going? Where are we headed? What do we want our church to look like in, say, 10 years? What's our, what's our game plan? And the answer for the leadership of this church is, is the Bible. There is, there is nothing else. The Bible is inerrant. It's, it's perfect. No, without errors. It is inspired by God. It is sufficient. It's all we need. We don't need extra things. We don't need a new game plan. We don't need new revelation. We have what the Bible says. Um, We believe in the perspicuity of the Bible, which is the clarity of Scripture, that everything that that all of the essentials are clear in Scripture, that Scripture means something, not everything. And we believe that the Bible is authoritative, that when it speaks, it doesn't matter how we feel, it doesn't matter what we think or, or what makes sense to us. It doesn't matter where our culture is at on the issue. That The Bible is authoritative. And so that is, that is why we think that the preaching of the word is so important. That's why we're going the direction we're going. And that's why pastor says things this morning that are counterculture and that offend people. Because honestly, there are th- some things in the Bible that it'd be nice for us if they just, if they just weren't there. Easier job. Um, but they are. And so we preach the whole counsel of God because God knows a whole lot better than we do. So that's just a little bonus, and I, Pastor hit on that today, and I thought it was so good that we need to hear it again. Um, as we come to the Scripture this evening, there are a few passages of Scripture in the Bible that are as somber as the one we will be in tonight. As we look to, the, to Gethsemane, there are no words to describe and to fully convey the emotions and the distress that was experienced by Christ that evening. It's very easy to read over that passage and to quickly think the agony starts at the cross. The agony starts as he's whipped. That is just not the case. When we look at what Scripture says, the garden is, is it's just, it, it almost kills him. It's brutal. And so we're going to look this evening at the garden. But as we've been going through um, our series, we've been talking about the life of the Apostle Peter. And the goal is eventually to get to 1 Peter and to know who's writing the book really well and so we're going to look at this not just as going through the garden, but going through the garden and what Peter is experiencing and how he's going through and the lessons that Jesus taught him at the end of it all. 
And so, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 14, you remember we have just celebrated the Passover meal, that Christ has just instituted the Lord's Supper, that he's washed the feet of the disciples, that he's given his final discourse to the disciples, which is a long section from John 13 to 17. Jesus speaks about the vine and the branches. He promises that there's a comforter that is coming. The Holy Spirit will come. He speaks about his death and what's going to happen to him. And so we know that this whole time, everything that's been happening has been leading up to this moment. Right? Even we look back in the Old Testament, we look at Isaiah, and we find out that Isaiah speaks of a suffering servant who's going to take the sins of all mankind, who's going to be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. And then we go to Daniel, and we find in Daniel 9.26 that the Messiah is going to be cut off for the sins of others. And we find in Zechariah that even the price that is to be paid in Zechariah 11, verse 12, the price of 30 pieces of silver is what he'll be betrayed for. And so we know that all through Scripture, it's been leading up to this moment, and now the Bible says that his hour has come. Mark chapter 14, verse 32 says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray. So, to, so Jesus takes his disciples, they go to Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a... It's interesting, when you, when you read scripture, the Bible never says the words, the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? It speaks about Gethsemane, and then later on, the soldiers come and they find Jesus in a garden. And so, the word Gethsemane literally means oil press. And so the disciples leave Jerusalem, they go toward the Mount of Olives, and at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, there's, there's this area, there's beautiful gardens that they grow olive trees, and... In that area, there are some caves. And in the caves, there are places where they they press olives. And so probably what happened here is that Jesus' disciples have just had this supper. Now they're leaving the supper, and they're going to the place where the disciples assume they're going to spend the evening to rest. And so probably they're going to go to this Garden of Gethsemane and then maybe find one of these caves where there's oil presses in it and go, go into those caves to have their evening sleep. It's already very late now. And so the disciples come to this place, and Jesus sits eight of them down. Remember, Judas has already left. So eight of them sit down, and the rest of them, John, James, and Peter, go on. In Mark chapter 14, 33, And, and he take, taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. So now these three men that had the pleasure just a, a while back of seeing Christ transfigured, glorified before their eyes, now watch as Jesus becomes sore amazed and heavy and, and sorrowful unto death. They see Christ just being emotionally and spiritually broken. What he goes through is so difficult and so painful. In fact, if you read the, the apostles, what they wrote... Mark here, it seems like he's just trying to describe pain, and he's just searching for words, right? He uses the word ekthembeo, which is sore amazed, and it means to be utterly astonished or completely overwhelmed with fear. He's sore amazed. It's, just, it's, it's, it's insane to him, this, this fear and this what's happening as he... I mean, you've got to remember where Jesus is at, right? He is about to take the sins of all mankind on his shoulders, and this is the one who have never experienced sin, never experienced guilt. And now it's going to be the wrath of God for all men, all time, on him. And so it's just 
experience he's never had. Christ knows everything. He's omniscient, but he doesn't know everything experientially. And now this happens. The word adameno means very heavy or full of heaviness and deeply distressed. And the word perilupus is exceeding sorrowful. It's grieved all around him. This is what Jesus is going to. He's, he's, he's grieved everywhere around to the point of death. This is an experience like any, unlike any other. For all mankind, no person has ever experienced torment and grief like this. And John MacArthur said, as much sorrow as he had, sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow, grief upon grief, there was no sorrow and no grief ever in his life like the experience recorded in these verses. This is so severe that it almost kills him. Christ is suffering in the garden. And here we have the humanity of Christ on full display. Jesus is absolutely dreading what is before him. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God could, had it pleased him, have been incarnate in a man of iron nerves, the stoic sort who lets no sigh escape him. Of his great humility, he chose to be incarnate in a man of delicate sensibilities who wept at the grave of Lazarus and sweat blood in Gethsemane. Otherwise, we should have missed the great lesson that it is by his will alone that man is good or bad and that feelings are not in themselves of any importance. We should also have missed the all-important help of knowing that he has faced all that the weakest of us face, has shared not only the strength of our nature, but every weakness of it except sin. If he had been incarnate in a man of immense natural courage, that would have been, for many of us, the same as his not being incarnate at all. What, what C.S. Lewis is getting at there is, what we see these emotions that Christ is going through, and we find that, that we don't go through anything more difficult than him. It's not like he was this iron robot who just headed to the cross without any feeling, without any emotion, without any distress. He was hurting. He was in pain. He was suffering. This was torment for him. This wasn't an easy path to the cross. And in his inexplicable pain, Jesus has one request for his three closest companions. He tells them to watch, And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 40, it says, when he was at the place, he said, pray that ye enter not in temptation. So he tells them to watch, he tells them to pray. And you think about that. These three men have been with him for for the entire time. They are the three closest disciples. They've seen the miracles. They've seen everything he's done. They've seen him be ridiculed and, and never go through this kind of difficulty. And now they see the distress and the torment. And he says, there's one thing you can do for me. Watch, stay awake, stay alert, be vigilant, and pray. We will see how they do. Mark chapter 14, verse 35 says, And he went forward a little, and he fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will but with what thou wilt. Luke chapter 22 in a parallel account says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Here, here Christ is, is flat on his face, prostrate on the ground before his heavenly Father. 
Abba, Father. Okay, this, this close relationship. He says, if, if there's any way this cup, this cup of judgment, this cup of, of suffering can pass from me, please let it pass. If there's any other way you can do this, Lord, please make it happen. Now, in these verses, we stumble across um, one of the greatest mysteries, I think, in all the Bible. And that is the mystery of Christ's humanity, full human, and his divinity. How is it possible that Jesus has to submit to the Father's will as if he and the Father have two different wills? And, and it's found, the answer is, in his nature. He is fully human and fully divine. He is fully God and fully man. And so we have many verses where we find these, these two aspects of Christ that kind of come, they, they almost seem to, to battle one another. And so in James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And so here we find that God cannot be tempted with evil. Well, Jesus is God. What's going on here? And, and here we find that it seems like Christ is just, he's suffering. But then you go over to, to Hebrews, and we find in Hebrews that, in chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we, we look in one sense, and it seems like God cannot be tempted, and then we look over to Hebrews, and he says that Christ was tempted in all points such as we are, yet without sin. Well, here he's being tempted. He's, he's struggling. This is difficulty. How does this all work together? And it all works together in, in his nature, unique, fully human, and fully God. As a human, he felt the weight of temptation, and here he felt the weight of all of the sin of, of the world. So in these verses, we find Jesus, King of kings and the Lord of lords, fallen on his face before his father, sweating blood, and begging God to let this hour, this cup, pass from him. We also find in these verses, Jesus willing to submit. Jesus willing to do whatever it is the father desires for him to do. Not my will, but thine be done. And what a picture of a servant of God, Jesus is. What, what an example he is here. Mark chapter 14, verse 37. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. Watch and pray. He comes and he finds them sleeping. Now in their defense, it's probably between midnight and 2 a.m. But you think about what Jesus is going through here. And the three friends are sleeping. And he saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus gets up from this agonizing prayer to return to his disciples. And, and one might imagine that as a human, he's, he's coming back to them to find comfort, to, to find guys that, that love him and are there for him. And what he finds is those three men are fast asleep. And here, when he, he speaks to them, it's funny how he specifically targets Peter. Right? He says, the gospel writer, Mark says, he said unto Peter, then he said, Simon. Right? He uses his old name. Why? Because he's acting like his old self. He says, Simon, sleep us out. Couldn't you just stay awake with me for one hour? And then he reminds them that what they need to do is they need to watch and pray, because if they don't, they will enter into temptation. Can you imagine as Jesus looks at Peter 
And he, he's just, Peter's just been woken up. I mean, you know you get woken up and you're like caught red-handed. You know, you're already feeling bad. And then he looks at him and says, Peter, really? For one hour? One hour you couldn't watch and pray with me? I can't imagine what Peter felt. So he gives him a second chance. And here it's funny that Jesus doesn't, it doesn't seem like he condemns them, right? He doesn't lash out. He doesn't get angry. Instead, he teaches them, you must watch and pray, not just for me, but you must watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. So verse 39 says, and again, he went away and he prayed and he spake the same words. Jesus goes again and he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, the same prayer. Mark chapter 14, verse 40 says, And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. He finds them asleep again, he wakes them up, and they just, they don't even know what to say. They're embarrassed. They're humiliated. But they're, they find themselves asleep. And what, the idea, what we're getting here is like, it seems like these guys, they want to stay awake. Right? When he looks at Peter and says, what's going on, Peter? Peter's, they've got no answer. I don't know what to tell you, Lord. I want to stay awake. I'm trying. But he keeps falling asleep. Verse 41, And he cometh the third time and said unto them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Time is up, guys. Go ahead. Keep sleeping if you want to. Okay, the time is over. Now the hour has come that I will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Your opportunity to watch and to pray is past. Your opportunity to be there for me and to provide any comfort for me is past. My hour to be crucified is now here. Verse 42, rise up, let us go. He that betrayeth me is at hand. And Jesus takes these guys, these, these once again failures, and he says, let's go meet. Let's go out and meet the one who's going to betray me. And so they get up from this, this prayer this nap, and they walk out and they see Judas coming with a band of soldiers behind him. And Judas walks up and he kisses Jesus on the forehead and the band of soldiers take him into custody and Jesus is led away to be tried, mock trial, and eventually to be crucified. And these guys had this opportunity in the garden to be there for him. What I want to do this evening, before we close, is I want us to see in these verses how amazing it is that as Jesus is going through all of this suffering, he takes the time to teach the disciples a lesson. You think about that. He's come for a specific purpose. He could go away and pray by himself. He doesn't need to keep coming back. He doesn't need to keep teaching them. He knows that they're going to fail in this area. So he's teaching them something that he believes is of vital importance. So much so that he teaches it three times. And so I want to look at this from the eyes of what Peter is learning and what Jesus is teaching him. The first thing we find is that Jesus taught them in the midst of his own suffering. Words cannot describe the experience that he was enduring. Three times he pauses to check on Peter, James, and John, and three times he finds them failing. And so what he does is he teaches them a lesson. What incredible love Christ has. And what an incredible example for us. Do you understand that our circumstances, even when they're not good, even when we're suffering, does not negate the responsibility to help one another and to teach one another and to to encourage one another? 
I think sometimes we get to the point, or we feel as though we get to the point where it's like, okay, I'm allowed to just suffer. I'm done with all you people. Maybe I just get to that point. (laughs) Um, Do you know what? I mean, you think of what Christ is going through. There's not anything worse that a person can be put through. A human person could not be put through this except Christ. No person could suffer like he was suffering tonight in the garden, and yet in the middle of that suffering, he takes the opportunity to teach them. What an incredible example. The more that I'm in this, and the older I get, I think the more I understand the, the need for experience. There are some things, there's some suffering, there's stuff that you're going to go through, and, and at the time, it's awful to go through. At the time, you, you wonder why, what's going on, Lord? You know, wh- why are you putting me through this? But there are so many things that are much easier to teach and to help people with when you've gone through them. In fact, there are times that, that, that I, I see somebody that's struggling, and I wish there was more I could do. Yes, I, I can look to the Bible, and I can have the answer. I know what God says about those subjects. But until you've gone through something, you just don't fully get it. You don't get the pain. You don't know what they're going through. And so here we have Christ going through the greatest temptation of all. This temptation where he could just walk away from the cross, bypass all of the suffering. And he doesn't. And so when he's watching, he's watching and praying, and and then he's teaching them in the middle of this suffering, because he gets it. He knows. He's, He's in there with them. The experience is incredible. And so when I read the verse, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, what that means is we have a high priest, he knows all of it. He knows exactly how we feel. He's been there. He's been through it. He taught them in the midst of his own suffering. Number two, he taught them by example. He taught them by example. Jesus didn't just give this you know, teaching and then, and then head out and they had no idea what he's doing. Or, or it's not like Jesus gave them this teaching because they're humans, but... He doesn't get it. He taught them by example. He prayed that the cup would pass. He prayed that he would not have to endure the sufferings ahead of him. But he prayed above all else that God's will would be done. Get that? So, so you pray, you pray that you won't have to go through it. You pray that you can bypass the, the sin, you can bypass the suffering, you can bypass the temptation, but you pray that no matter what happens, God's will will be done. And if it's God's will for you to go through it, then you will do what God wants you to do. And do you know what's great here? God did answer his prayer. He didn't answer his prayer the way Jesus might have in his, in his human nature wanted him to, right? He wanted this, the, the suffering to be gone. But Luke chapter 22, verse 43 says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Isn't that great? That God hears the prayer of his son, and he, he's not, I mean... The cross is going to happen. It has to happen. That's his, it's his mission. But he does send an angel to give him strength to go through it. That's wonderful. God puts you on a path, and it's, it's going to be to go through suffering. And you say, God, I can't do it. God, I have no idea how. I, I know I don't have the strength. And he says, that's okay. I'm going to put you on this path. But when you need it, I'll send strength. And the strength can come in many different ways. It can come through other people encouraging you. It can come through just the Holy Spirit. It can come through so many different things. But God, he teaches by example, and then we see the prayer being answered, not in the way Jesus had asked for it to be answered, but his prayer being answered nonetheless. And so when he says, watch and pray lest you enter temptation, what does he mean? 
doesn't mean always that you're not going to be in this situation that's difficult. He means that when it happens, if you're watching and praying, that he will give you strength. He taught them in the midst of his own suffering. He taught them by example. Number three, he taught them through repetition. He taught them through repetition. I, I like this because I guess it makes me feel less bad about myself. Right? Because, I mean, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know that you've been convicted of things. You know that you've been taught things. And you know what the Bible says in certain areas, and that you probably know that you failed in those areas. Right? And so Jesus doesn't just teach the lesson once and then go, okay, okay, well, you didn't get it, so I'm done with you. Actually, what we find is if we step back into Jesus' ministry... When the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, do you know what he does? He says, in Matthew 6, verse 13, part of the Lord's prayer is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he's teaching them to watch and pray. Well, watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. He's already said, this is how you should pray. Pray that God doesn't lead you into temptation, but deliver you from evil. And then, in Mark chapter 13, verse 33, after he's spoken about the end times and Christ's second coming, he says in Mark chapter 13, 33, take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. So he's given them this command a few times already. They already know what they're supposed to do. And then he leads them to the garden. He says, okay, I want you to watch and I want you to pray. And then they mess up. And he says, guys, you've got to watch and pray lest you enter temptation. And they mess up. He says, why couldn't you just stay awake for me, with me for just a few moments, for, for an hour? Watch and pray lest you enter temptation. He's nailing it into them. I hope you don't leave this place ever wondering what Jesus was trying to tell them and what he's trying to tell us. Watch and pray lest you enter temptation. Okay? That is something that I know you've heard before. We've all heard it before. But how many times do we actually watch and pray lest, you enter, lest we enter temptation? I mean, how many times are we praying that God will deliver us from evil? How, are we, how many times are we praying that we'll have the strength to stand? Our problem, like the disciples is that we're so self-reliant. Is, honestly, it boils down to our arrogance. It boils down to our pride. Why won't we do this when Christ has commanded us to do it? Because we think we got it covered. Because we think, I mean, we, we have the right motivations. We have conviction. We, we're determined. We got it covered. That's, uh, Christ said, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. So all those other things, you're getting covered and you're being okay and you're being strong and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's really irrelevant because it's not true. Jesus taught them through repetition. Finally, number four, he taught them by their own failure. He taught them by their own failure. He tells them to watch and pray. And you've got to understand that their mindset, it's not negative. These guys aren't out to hurt Jesus. They're not out to, to fail. They're not out to sin. That's not their goal. They, they want to stay awake. James and John, only hours before, have argued over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know why they argued that? Because they honestly both believed that they were worthy to be the greatest. They, they really believed that they were willing to give it all for Christ, that they were his best servant, and that they should be his right-hand man. And then Peter after he's told that he's going to deny Christ, has the audacity to say that though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Peter wasn't lying. He wasn't making this up. 
he really believed he would do what he said. And Jesus knows full well of their coming failure. He knows in his, in his omniscience that when he goes back there, these guys are going to be sleeping. He knows how this whole thing plays out. And so when he set, tells them, watch and pray, lest you enter temptation, what he's doing is saying, look, fellas, when you didn't watch and pray, look what happened. When you didn't watch and pray, you fell asleep. When you didn't watch and pray, you denied me. When you didn't watch and pray, you utterly failed. And so if you want to know how to, get to, to, to survive and to thrive in times that are difficult and tempting, you watch and pray. So, have we ever failed? Have we ever found ourselves sure that there's no way we would ever get into that sin? That there's no way we'd ever fall in that area? Do you know what I think happens a lot? I think we often see other people failing. We think, how could they ever do that? Don't they know what the Bible says? Right? Don't they know anything about God? Don't they know that Jesus died for that sin? It's very easy to look at other people's sin and think, I would never, ever do that. But then we find ourselves failing in the same way. And it's, it's not overnight. It, it often takes time. But I'm telling you, there's been teenagers in our youth group, and they were doing well, and they, they seemed to love the Lord, and they read their Bible, and they had this relationship, and then just really slowly, they drift away. Really slowly. And, and all of a sudden, a couple years later, they're doing things they, they promised to never do. They promised God they would never do. They've completely left what Christ told them to, the life that Christ told them to live. How does that happen? It's because people don't watch and pray. Because they believe they've got it. Because they believe they can dabble a little bit and they'll be fine. If you're in the habit of watching and praying lest you enter temptation, do you know what's going to happen when temptation comes along? You're ready for it. You're alert. You're not caught off guard. And you already have this strength because God has heard your prayers. And so we must, we must watch and pray. It's not just teenagers that this happens to. I, I think when I started in the youth ministry, I thought it was mostly teenagers this happened to. And then you come to church for a while and you see adults who are on fire for the Lord. And then slowly they're not. And then slowly, you never see them. Watch and pray. This is not just for kids. It's not just for those of us who think they're strong. I mean, if you think you're strong, it's mostly for you. Because you're not. Do not rely on your own strength. Your feelings, your confidence, your motivation, your determination, your perseverance, they will all fail you. I'm not saying they're bad things. You do need to be determined. But you also need to rely on the Lord. And know that, that your strength is going to come from him. So Jesus is an incredible teacher. As he's going through the suffering, he teaches them. He teaches them by his example. He teaches them despite the fact that he knows that they're going to fail. What a wonderful Savior we have. Tonight what I want to do as we close is to walk away with two thoughts. The first thought is this. Jesus suffered that agony for you. As we look at the garden, as we see the weight of the sin that was pressing down on Christ, let's always remember that we were a part of the weight. That, that sin was ours. Right? That he suffered because of me. Because I've rebelled against God. Because of the choices that I've made and the thoughts that I've thought. It's, it's not everyone else 
It's not sin in general. It is, in particular for me, my sin that made him suffer. It's the wrath that I deserve that he's experiencing. There's a wonderful quote. It's almost a poem written by Fulton J. Sheen, and it shows the beauty of this, this garden, Gethsemane, where they come to get Christ, and the original garden wherein Adam and Eve sinned. It says, And as Adam lost the heritage of union with God in a garden, so now our blessed Lord ushered in its restoration in a garden. Eden and Gethsemane were two gardens around which revolved the fate of humanity. In Eden, Adam sinned. In Gethsemane, Christ took humanity's sin upon himself. In Eden, Adam hid himself from God. In Gethsemane, Christ interceded with his father. In Eden, God sought out Adam in his sin of rebellion. In Gethsemane, the new Adam sought out the father and his submission and his resignation. In Eden, a sword was drawn to prevent entrance into the garden and thus immortalizing of evil. In Gethsemane, the sword would be sheathed. And a great, great reminder for us, uh, just to think about what, what Christ was doing on the cross, it was changing the fate of humanity. It was changing our fate. And so Jesus suffered that agony for you. And the second thing that I want us to, to leave the service remembering is that Jesus told us that we should not be self-reliant. We must watch and pray. That's what watching and praying is. Watching and praying is setting aside the belief that you will never sin, the belief that you can do it, the belief that you are stronger than your flesh, and watching and praying is saying, God, I need your help. Keep me vigilant. Keep me alert. Keep me watching for my adversary, the devil, who, like a roaring lion, is seeking those who he may devour. Keep me. Lord, I need your help. I know what's coming. I know in my own flesh I'm not strong enough. That's what, this is, that's what he's teaching here. We must watch and pray. There's a huge danger in self-reliance, and I'm telling you, Peter learned the lesson. Peter got it here. He understood. He tried in all of his own strength and completely failed. So what are we going to do? My prayer is that we'll leave this place watching and praying. Let's pray.